0: Good evening everybody, I see there's a few of you active out there, so that's a good thing. We're going to uh, pick up the book that we started last week, uh, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus is a book uh, that we'll get to into uh, that is probably more and more relevant to you as this generation Um, as we see uh, the rise of Islam, and it will be until the end. And so we're going to talk about what it means for us and what they believe, uh, because you should know what others believe, and you should know what you believe. So let's start out in a word of prayer, and we will begin with that. Thank you, Lord, for being with us tonight. We ask for your presence and your help in this place. We know we can't do this without you. So we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the things you have to say to us. Help us to be grateful and thankful and have willing and open uh, hearts for these things. May we see what you want us to see and give us wisdom and and that we may discern well in these things. Just thank you for your protection, your help, and your care on all of these things. We ask for all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, well, if you are behind, uh, of which it's easy to get behind, but if you go on our uh, feed, you will find that uh, we're getting these read to you, so if you don't have this book, And you'd just rather listen to somebody read it. It's easier if you want to buy it. uh, You're also welcome to do that. It's a great resource. Um, But either way, it's getting read to you. You can catch up on chapters after tonight. There's an entire story here of a young man, uh, Nabil Kreshi. He is the man that wrote this book. And essentially, he is a man that started out... Uh, as a devout Muslim, and as a devout Muslim, he learned all of the things that devout Muslims are supposed to learn. And during these times, he talks about growing up as a child, memorizing great lengths uh, and parts and pieces of the Quran. By the time he's six years old, he has read through the entire Quran, okay, and he has learned a lot of other uh, documentation, parts and pieces that come about in the Muslim faith, and those are particular to teaching people how to live. Okay, there's a law that they uh, talk about in this book Um and throughout this law, it teaches them those basics of life. Should we do this? Should we not do that? Other than the Quran, uh, And we will talk a little bit about that as we, as we move on through this book here. Alright, so one thing that you need to know is when it tells the story of this, this boy as a young man, he was, like I said, learning every part and every piece that he could. His parents, and you, some of you m- may uh, identify with this, his parents grilled him on things he should know. And not know. Now, maybe you weren't grilled on Christianity, or maybe you were grilled on certain things your parents wanted you to know and wanted you to be raised like. And so he was grilled day after day after day, he and his sister. And they grew up. And they, of course, learned just the things that they should say, and they were able to recite large pieces of Muhammad's life. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about. If you go to last week's lesson, you can either get it uh, on the church website, uh, you can download the audio, or I think it's still buried in our feed from last week. Um, You can download the audio. And we talked about the faith of the Muslims, or Islam. Okay, and what they believe—they in particular believe a few basic things. Um, and there are pillars of Islam. And if you want to look at that, those. Uh, pillars of Islam. you can go look at last week's lesson, but there's a few basics that they talk about and that is one God whom they refer to as Allah, all right? And there is a major prophet called Muhammad. Sorry. I still remain bad at spelling and writing and all those things, regardless of what language I'm in. So, so Muhammad is his prophet, and Allah is the major god. Now, there are other prophets, okay, and we will talk a little bit about that. Uh, One of them... Being Jesus Christ, and they say Jesus Christ was one of the prophets of Allah, but Muhammad was his major prophet. Okay, so Muhammad came along after uh, it was about 500 years, roughly, I think, after Jesus. Okay, and Muhammad basically said, "I have this Quran, okay, and that's that's the the writings of God." Okay, the Quran, they spell uh, like that. And you may have seen it in in sort of a translated version, we, we say it's the Quran like that. But if you uh, if you really want to speak to a Muslim and befriend him, you try to do your best to understand that. And and we'll talk a little about that and how important that is that, okay? So the Quran is the major book. Major book comes out of Muhammad. It is said by the Muslims to be their it's infallible, okay? That means no mistakes in that version. But they also say in order for there to be no mistakes, it has to remain in the original language. Okay? And so they keep it in the original language and they memorize it, oftentimes, in the original language. Now, other parts and pieces besides this, uh, another piece is one of the cities where Muhammad came from originally was the city of Mecca. And so that's become kind of a colloquialism in in our life. As you say, well, there's some place that's really important. That's the Mecca of whatever, okay? Um, and Mecca is that city where Muhammad first basically uh, came up with the Quran or was a conduit for the Quran. If you talk to a Muslim, he became a conduit from God for the Koran. Okay? Now, as I say all this, understand that there will be some parallels in what we believe. Okay? There will be things that we say, well, that sounds similar, that sounds similar. And there are several things that are similar. Okay. And in fact, we'll go through a short list of things that really are very similar but there's a couple of crucial things, okay, that we have to be aware of. And we'll mention that, it was talked about a little last week or majorly last week and we'll we'll make sure we mention it again to understand that, okay? So they take the teachings of Muhammad and they follow the teachings of Muhammad, particularly the Quran and multiple other books, okay, as they go through and it will be helpful for you to read through or follow through the, the chapters that are read to you online in order to get some of these uh, some of these words through. As you can you can look on it. We're not good at pronouncing them, okay? And and it's I'm sorry, <laughs> we're just we're just not. So we'll do our very best to do that. Um, but understand this is a couple of different things. Major one God, Allah, his major prophet Muhammad, and Mecca is a place where they are say they are supposed to annually take a pilgrimage to Mecca. Okay, so they're supposed to annually, if they're able to do so, travel to Mecca and worship. Right? So some things that he introduces us to are that these people are very faithful at what they do. It is rare to find a Muslim that does not pray five times a day. Okay, they, In fact, no matter where they are, they have malt those five times a day. They many times have their mats that they use. They face Mecca, wherever they are in the world. And there are a billion of them out there doing this. Okay, so it's a pretty major thing. It's a very major thing. Um, so there's something, there's something very attractive about this faith, okay, to many people. And one of the things are, they are faithful and there are oftentimes things that are repetitive, I'm sorry, I don't know if that's really how you spell repetitive, but repetitive, okay? There are things that are repetitive. They repeat the same prayers again and again, okay? And it's just each time of the day, it depends on how many times they say them, all right? So you'll find people are often very comforted with that type of thing. They like to do the same thing. They like to know what's coming next, all right, We find that in many faiths in the world, is that people like repetition. They like to do the same things. All right? You find that just in human nature. People like that. And so, uh, if you, back when we were in normal church, going to church, sitting in the pews, if you move and uh, sit in somebody else's pew, they come up like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to sit now because people like, they're, they're creatures of habit, okay? They like to do those things. That's not a bad thing, okay? That's a good thing. It helps us get through our life and many times. Helps us to do things and God wants us to create faithful habits, okay? So you'll find that that is often what they are. They believe strongly, most people that, uh, that worship in the faith of Islam believe very strongly in multiple things. First of all, no drinking. Okay? No alcoholic drinks. No cursing. They watch their language. If you're a young man or a young woman, no time alone with girls. Dangerous, those girls, okay? So, and another thing is uh, their, their main goal is to be virtuous, okay? they want to have virtues. I mean, they, they literally believe that they are able to get to heaven by doing enough of the goodwill of Allah. They are able to please God by doing enough. All right? Now, we find that in many, many, many faiths in the world. That people believe that there is enough that they can do. Okay? They do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. Okay, They do enough good things to say, well, God will be pleased with me. All right? All right, I want to plug in there. So, that defines much of their faith, and we would call that a faith of works. Okay? And if you were to look, you would find that in the Bible, I believe in the book of James, it talks about faith without works is dead. You need works in your life... Not because God looks and says, oh, that's enough. You've put enough on the scale to make it okay. Okay, That's not what God's doing. But what God is doing is saying, because you have a relationship with me, because you love me, you do these things. Okay, so it, It's a fine line. And I'm sure if you got into an argument with somebody, they'd say, Well, we do it because we love God. Okay? But understand this: that they believe if they do enough, as a Muslim, they have reached something where God says, good enough to pass. Okay, good enough to get in to heaven. Good enough. Now, here's something that we need to look at: Isaiah chapter number 64. Isaiah chapter 64. Verse number 6 and 7. If you would read that, please. That would be great. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because. Okay, so here it is. This is the way God thinks of us, okay? In the Bible, which Muslims accept as holy writing, okay? They will accept the Bible as holy writing. They will not accept it as infallible, okay? Because then they run into some problems when that happens, okay? But they will accept it as a holy book, because Jesus is in there. And they often, a good, faithful, learned Muslim can tell you a great deal about what's in the Bible. All right, That's where we need to be aware, be careful, and make sure that they can't tell us more than we know about what's in the Bible. All right? We want to know our faith. Know and understand it. That's something that I admire about this man is that uh, Nabil took his time and was strong in his Muslim faith, but he continued to think about it and understand other faiths so that to the point where he came one day and said, something's a little bit shaking here. Okay, and we're going to get to that uh, the crux of that argument later today. So here it is. This is the way man looks at himself and says, well, I can do enough to please God. To please God, I can do enough. God looks down at man and sees And this is all mankind. That doesn't matter who you are or where you are. He sees all the best things that you bring to Him. He says, that is like filthy rags. They are dirty. They are disgusting. They are unclean. Okay, they are defiled. All the very best things we bring to God. And we say, but God, I did all these things. I was faithful. I went to church every week. I did this. I did that. I never cursed. I never did this. And God says, though those things helped you out in life, you didn't do them for the sake of my son, Jesus. All right? You did them. Enough to gain what you thought was enough of God's good pleasure. But God says, I don't look at it that way. I look at it totally different. In Isaiah, it says, everything I did, all my very best things, are literally as filthy rags. The most righteous things I can do, God says, that's really just garbage to me. Now, why does He look at it as that? Well, because when we go way back to the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind fell into sin. Alright? Mankind. That day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, mankind fell into sin. And ever after that, sinful creatures gave birth to more sinful creatures. Once they were born with parents that were sinful, God says that is a defiled race. And I don't mean any one particular race, I mean the entire human race on the globe. I don't care what country you come from, what area you come from, what color your skin is, it doesn't matter whether you're purple. God looked down and said, that race has been has been completely tainted by sin. And there's only one way out. We need someone perfect. So you know the story, right? Jesus obviously comes in, and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and it is His righteousness, right? His righteousness that covers us. Not our own righteousness. We can never be righteous enough. Now that makes many people struggle because they say, well, what about a guy who is bad his whole life and then turns at the very last moment of his life before he dies and yet he hurt so many people and he did so many bad things? My answer to that is this God has mercy on me when I am sinful. God looks at the human race as sinful, as a whole. All of the consequences of sin, we live in them. Okay? He does not put his protective hand particularly on one person, unless if he chooses to do so. Uh, the only way he does that is he chooses to cover someone with righteousness. Okay? And the righteousness is of his son. By having faith in God, okay, faith in His Son, that brings righteousness. God says that is a replacement for righteousness. That I am taking his, my Son's righteousness and putting it on top of you, and that is what I see. Okay, I cover you with that righteousness because Jesus was willing to do that. He was a sacrifice to do that. Right? So, Muslims do not believe, though they believe, that Jesus Christ came to earth, they do not believe that he died on the cross. Okay, And they have some theories about that. Now, there are historical evidences not only in the Bible, but in other places, uh, that mention this, that talk about this, that define history through this. And so there's the the piece of that they grapple with is what, what do they say about it. We'll get into a couple of things they talk about in short time here. Now, As a Muslim, here's the one thing that we struggle with greatly, all right? We definitely struggle with this greatly is when a culture is different from our own. Now, people, many times they divide the world into the Eastern cultures and the Western cultures. Okay, and as we may or may not know, Eastern cultures, we'll say that of China, okay, is considered an Eastern culture. Eastern cultures often think differently than Western cultures. Okay, they are raised to look at life differently, they think of things. Often in cycles and circles, oftentimes, okay, that's one way that some Eastern thought is. They think of things uh, in total different ways than us. Now, not one is not right or wrong. It is the way that they were raised, all right? And so... Western culture versus Eastern culture, one of the big major things that Nabil raises in here is two things. In the Western culture, we are taught from day one, from when we are young, okay. and Western culture is much of Europe and all basically across through to the United States, okay? That is the Western culture, and there are places with more Western influence than others, all right? Western culture says we have a critical reasoning. Let me put that down. Critical reasoning. I'll explain this in a second. Eastern culture grows up with lines of authority. Now, this is a simplification of this because it's more complex than this. But what you need to understand is when you're thinking about what's right and wrong, When you are thinking about how you look at the world or view the world, particularly what's right and wrong, the Eastern culture says there are teachers, there are people that are experts in these things, and they have told me what is right and wrong. Okay? They told me what is right and wrong. They are the experts in them, And I follow what they say because they've been tested over time. All right? And if you're a red-blooded American, that rubs you a little the wrong way. You can't even think about that without saying, but I know of a way that it can't be. That should be, right? Because Western thought involves critical reasoning and the critical reasoning is much more of i will check this for myself i will not believe in other authorities until i prove everything on my own okay i can do it on myself i will not accept it until I know this works for me. So out of this comes something, a couple of different uh, names that they that he used in here. Um, the particular names he used here, one thing, he said, in the east, this goes down to shame and honor. He called it the shame and honor culture. Alright? And so, in the shame and honor culture, you do not do things to dishonor your family or to shame your family. Okay? It is looked down upon very much when you do something to dishonor your family because you respect your elders. And you do the things that you need to do to respect your elders, to protect the family, to do things. And so they have a very tight-knit, close family. Okay, Those are good things, right? And yet, in the Western culture we say... No way. I'm going to do what's right for me. Okay? There's also a good thing in that both have limits where they fall apart. Right? Because the very first thing you think of is when I go back to a line of authority and I just take everything that this guy tells me for gospel and it's not, then I'm in trouble. Right? I'm not doing that. That'd be dumb. Not true when you're raised that way, okay? But we oftentimes have a great deal of struggle in the West with authority. We don't like it. Take away all the authority from us. We don't want any authority over us, as minimal as we can, okay? It's good that you check things for yourself and you know and that you make sure that you are critical reasoning and saying this is right and wrong, That's a good thing to say this is right and this is wrong. Okay? But it is this critical reasoning can get us into a place where rebellion is easy. I don't listen to what anybody says, I don't care who they are. Okay? And disrespect is very easy. Where this culture says, We make sure we honor our elderly people. That's naturally in the culture. Here, people make a personal choice, but as a culture, we don't do it, okay? It's a struggle as a culture. We don't do a good job with it. So both have issues, and both have good things about them, but understand, when you go about this, they are different. So you need to understand where people are coming from to begin with. And you can say, okay, well, wait a minute. Since I'm part of the Western culture, I'm going to check what you're saying. Because really, isn't the Bible all about Western culture, right? Isn't Christianity a Western thing? Hmm. So let's think about this. Well, we do have this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. We're still in the book of Isaiah for right this moment. Isaiah chapter one verse eighteen. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. All right. So the very first thing that he's saying is, let's reason together. Okay. We're going to have reasoning or critical thinking. We're going to reason about our sins, okay? We're using our thinking and our thought process to think about our sins. What are they? Well, we know that we're doing the wrong thing oftentimes. They are scarlet. They are red. We are guilty of blood, okay? That's why they're scarlet. They're crimson, okay? Our sins, and that's what... God encourages us. Reason with this. Look at yourself and see what you do wrong. Because there are many things that we do wrong. This shame and honor culture, and this is where Nabil brings this up. He says we struggle with feeling bad about things. We don't feel bad about things. We don't have that guilty conscience. Okay, many Westerners struggle with the guilty conscience. Now, God doesn't want that to cripple you, but He wants you to understand that you have a sinful nature. Alright? So, in that way, the Bible has that reasoning, He says, is that guilty conscience. Now, Nabil talks about his friends. He says that he's got examples, but he's got some things like. One of his cousins went into a Taco Bell and asked for a cup of water. And then went to the machine and filled it up a pop. Didn't get caught. Went back, filled it up again. And the guy called him out on it. Some kid said, I can't believe you're doing that. You didn't pay for that. That's pop." No, I wasn't filling it with pop. And he hits the water button fills the rest of it. And he describes how it's this pink, bubbly water left because it was code red Mountain Dew. Okay. He said his cousin didn't even feel bad about it. He was only upset that he got caught. Now, we look at a guilty conscience as something that's good. It's a virtue. And, and God does too. Okay? They're saying, well, if nobody really caught me, then I'm probably okay. Okay, That's more within there. He said the only thing he felt really bad about was that was some kid making uh, minimum wage that told him that he was wrong. He didn't like that because it doesn't come from a line of authority. If his father figure or uh, a leader in the Muslim church, or someone would have said that's wrong, he would have responded much better to it. But instead, he said, Nah, I'm not, I'm getting water. Okay? Because he didn't think that was worth it. So there's where they kind of struggle with that culture. Okay? We all have our struggles. Now, if we go to Hebrews, let's go into the New Testament here. Hebrews, chapter number 13, verse number 17. Obey your leaders and submit to your authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey their work. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage. Okay, so there it is. Now, in Hebrews it says, obey your, your rulers, because God gave them the ability to rule over you. God put them there. God gave them the wisdom to do it. Obey your rulers. Don't fight against them. Okay, They are watching over your souls. So we find that, that neither of these, both of these are supported Okay, by verses in Scripture. You can say, well, this, is, this comes from this and that comes from that. Because truthfully, in God's perfect way, God took Christianity and he did something amazing with it. Right? God knew that there would be two big schools of thought in this world, right? Eastern thought and Western thought. A little bit different. Got to approach them a little bit different. And he said, in order to touch all of them, I will take someone put smack dab in the Middle East. And he puts the Jewish people right in the Middle East. So they typically are a more Eastern thought pattern, okay? And I will take the Roman government and put it right over top. The Western thought, right? And at that very moment, when all of that is there, I will bring Jesus Christ in, my son, and put him in the midst of that and spread the entire gospel around the world. Because he said, I I know all of what will happen, right? God can cover everything. God doesn't think Eastern or Western. God thinks his own ways. He says, I think my own thoughts. Thoughts of good towards people. Alright? And so God says, I've got those types of things. Now, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but in Acts 17, verses 1 through 3, Paul talks about reasoning with the Scriptures. Okay? So God wants you to think. God wants you to critically think and put your mind into what you're doing and what you believe. He wants you also to follow authority. But understand, if you are going to be someone who talks to and befriends a Muslim, then you must understand, if you're actually going to befriend them and have some sort of influence over them, then you must understand, they don't think the same way that we do. So how do we do this? How do we approach them? That's the next question. Let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse number 15. 3.15. in set apart Christ Okay, so here's what we are supposed to do. This is what God says to do. However you do this, you have to be able to give that person who does not go know God, give him an answer. That means you've got to spend time. You've got to spend time reading, studying, working, understanding not only what you believe strongly and dig into what you believe and question what you believe and figure it out. But also, what does this friend believe? How do they believe? What do they think about? How can they approach it? So understanding your friend or your person that you want to approach as... Another human being who needs the Lord. You do that, like it says, be ready to give an answer, but not a I gotcha. I'm, I'm ready with a baseball bat. Anytime you say it, whack, I'm gonna get you. It's not that at all. What you want to do is do it with gentleness and respectfulness, kindness, meekness. Okay? Understanding that you approach people in love and they respond. Because you cannot teach people to love Christ if you are not like Christ. That's the big thing. You must be like Christ if you want them to be attracted to them. He talks about a young girl who had lots of answers. Okay, as a Christian, when he was in school, he went to school in multiple different places. And I think it was in Virginia that he was in. And there was a young girl, he tells the story of this young girl who takes one opportunity when the teacher left the room and says, hey, what do you know about Jesus? He knows this girl and this girl believes in Jesus. And man, she's a weirdo, right? But she approached him in such a way that when he did it, he kind of played along. She was kind to him. And when she didn't know the answer, she said, I don't know that answer. Because he kept going and going and going. And he, in fact, knew a lot about what was in the Bible. And he had answers, because he learned what his faith was. To stand up and say, here's what it is, and here's how you answer this. They're given those answers for those questions. Okay, If they want to learn them, they're given it. And he talks about that girl, because he remembered her in all of his struggles, as a person who was genuine, who really cared, who maybe didn't know everything that moment. In seventh grade or whatever she was in at the time, but wanted and cared about letting him know, approached him in a kind and Christ-like way, all right? So that's an important part, is he talks about being an ambassador as a Muslim, okay, ambassador, And there is a verse about being an ambassador for Christ. He believes it was his job to spread uh, Islam to anybody who would listen. Okay, And as we should, also be ready to give an answer, tell those about him. And one of the things he questioned is, if these people really believe in Jesus, and they really believe that I'm going to hell if I don't believe in this Jesus and they believe in love, why aren't they telling me? Why don't they know? Why isn't it important to them? Why isn't it more important to them? So this is part of what we're trying to do is, is feed your brain and help you to understand what's to be thinking about. All right. So the Eastern and Western thought, that's one piece. Then another piece you need to understand is you've got a lot of similar ground to work with a lot of very similar ground one thing is both christians and muslims are monotheistic mono meaning one the meaning god okay so believing in one god both muslims and christians believe in a spiritual and a physical realm. Not all people believe in that, okay? But uh, we have the same footing. They also believe in angels and demons. They believe in that, and so do we as Christians. They believe in good and evil. They believe in final judgment. They also believe in heaven and hell. Okay? And they believe in the inspiration of their scriptures. Now, we use the word scriptures Uh, To mean the Bible only, they have a larger set of books, some about Muhammad and his life, what he did, some as a law that they've kind of tracked back where they're saying Muhammad said all these things and I heard it from this guy and he heard it from that guy and that guy heard it from that guy, all the way back to this guy heard it from Muhammad. Okay, so they have a tracking mechanism that they do that with, but they believe that even the Bible is inspired, but written down by men, and as time goes on, without that tracking mechanism, they believe that there is error in the Bible. And so that's where their issues come up with the Bible. Or at least that's how they've explained it, is that there's issues with the Bible. So you have a bunch of different things that you, you stand on the same footing with them. Similar footing. You can at least think and talk with them about these things. Okay. Here's where the major part goes different. We've talked about how you get to heaven and hell, of course. Uh they believe in works where we believe in grace of god okay and we just say god does it as a gift because it talks about the gift of god as eternal life okay it is not by works but it is a gift of god okay so that's where we differ but the big major thing we differ on is jesus We talked about him, they said he's a prophet only. We of course believe he is God incarnate. That means he is God in the flesh. And they say, well how could he be God in the flesh? You cannot be man and human. Well we don't understand all the things that God has said, but we do know that God has said them. So, if you were to turn to Isaiah 9, verse 6, I'll just say it here because it's that famous verse we use at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is talking as clear as it can be about the Son of God that is called the Eternal Father. Isn't that interesting? And also called the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Okay? If you were to look in the book of John, you would find about the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? Talking specifically about Jesus. Later on in the book of John, although there are many other places, um, they talk, and, and John grapples with this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Muslims struggle with it and say there cannot be. You cannot claim to be God, because God is God, and man is man, and that's it. There is no middle. And we are not saying there's a middle. We are saying Jesus Christ took on the form of a man, became man, stripped himself of things, of of limited himself, I guess is the better word. Okay, He limited himself by his own choice. Being God, he can do that. And he became both Lord and Christ, or God and uh, man. In John 20, 28, after Jesus shows himself back up to the apostles, Jesus is standing in front of uh, he shows back up the second time, actually, to the group of apostles. The first time, Thomas is not there. And Thomas says, I won't believe till I put my hands into his fingers, into the prints of his fingers, and reach my hand up into his side. Then I'll believe. And so Jesus shows up. Here I am. Okay, here you go. Reach in. You are doubting me, but I am here. Believe. And Thomas falls on the ground and says, My Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus Christ is not God, he surely would have corrected him at that moment, right? I'm not God, if he wasn't, because Jesus is telling the truth, okay? Those are a couple of things where we say, now there are many, 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 you could teach a whole series on on the things, how you talk about what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is is and and where he fits into it and where God says there is one God. Okay? But three persons in God. Now understand, God is a complicated being. Very complicated. Much more complicated than any human being. If you were to look in the book of Revelation, you would also find references within the first few chapters about the seven spirits of God we don't know specifically because it's not mentioned in other places but there may be more than one spirit of god why is there a limit he has chosen to reveal to us who he is by the means that he has chosen it will take all of eternity just to see part more of him and we will never reach the end of who god is he is an eternal Omnipotent being. Okay, so understand to put him in a box and say, well, he's got to be like us and understand like we understand. No, 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 he doesn't. Not at all. All right? He tells us something, and his authority says, I am this. All right? And that's where his authority is. Now, so how do they deal with this? Jesus is on the cross, right? Because it's in historical documents, not just the Bible. Other historical documents support it. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Okay? Well, they have a couple different ones. Uh, The major one, well, two different ones. There's one called a swoon theory. And here is their theory. Jesus was nailed to the cross he was on the cross for three hours. Okay? Which is not uh, exactly true, but this is their theory. So he's on the cross. After a few hours on the cross, someone goes to Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea, and says, I want his body. Pilate says, okay, we'll give you his body. The swoon theory said, he appeared to be dead, but he was not dead. And so they took him off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, take him in, lay him in the tomb with a hundred pound of spices, put it all over his body, it heals him, and he gets up. problem with that is that the Roman soldiers are trained to know death better than any other people in the world, alright? And it even said that Pilate marveled if, if he was already dead, and they said he is as dead as it can be already. The other problem is they jammed a spear up into his heart, okay? And out came blood and water. The water around his heart is due to heart failure. Okay? He is as dead as can be. Alright? There's a whole thing you could teach about that. But that's how they say, well, he was really not there, and then he was able to come up and be Jesus, and then he lived a long time and then died of old age. Okay? The second thing is they said, well, God took the face of Jesus and made someone else look like Jesus, and they crucified that guy. And then Jesus came back. I guess it's a theory. <laughs> it's an interesting theory. Um, seems a little far fetched on how it would be. Um, why that would happen or why they would believe it. I guess there's always a way to try to explain things away. Um, I guess the bigger question is, why does it bother them so much if he died on the cross? Well, so the big answer is, if Jesus didn't really die on the cross, then Christianity doesn't have any real basis if Jesus was real the son of God he is God and he dies on the cross he's the only one that can cover the uh, the, the sin of man with his own righteousness by his own sacrifice then it validates all of Christianity's beliefs if not then it, they can say well that doesn't matter then There's nothing real about it. It is the crux of Christianity that Jesus died on the cross. Okay? It is the most important thing we believe. Because without it, Paul says, we would be of all men most miserable. We'd have no hope in this world. There's no point. Because there's no way out of our sin. We'd be stuck in our guilt and no way out. All right? So with those two theories, the substi- uh, substitution theory and the swoon theory, they, they try to cover it up. Okay. Now, one or two more things I want to hit on um, that he talks about. One thing is, along the way, and this is not uncommon for people of all faiths, People I know that are Christians have doubts. Okay, Nabil talks about his doubts. He talks about uh, that he has those doubts about faith. Now, it's 1% and he believes 99%. But is there something in there that kind of bothers him? Something in there that's unanswered? That's the thing. If there are things within your heart and mind that are unanswered, the point is not to just push them aside. Get in there, dig into them, and don't be afraid of them. Learn about them, figure it out. Do what you ought to do by learning more about what you believe. It may surprise you the things that you learn, it may surprise you how much you learn. All right. When his doubts started to work, um, he mentioned something called the doctrine of abrogation. All right. Now, I told you that Muslims believe that the Quran is 100% infallible. Okay? but there is this doctrine that they have called abrogation that says well, now as I move along in the Quran, I put in a new verse okay, that new verse came along a little later which made the old verse kind of outdated so we'll kind of ignore the old verse because it doesn't really necessarily we'll say this new one replaces it Okay. now there are people that believe in lots and lots and lots of verses like that they say, well that old one is no good for this and that old one is no good for this and that might be a thing of convenience Okay. and then there is a, a section of Muslims that believe well there's a few verses that we need to kind of <laughs> that got replaced and then there's a section of Muslims who do not believe in this Quran is 100% everything in it. And what everyone will tell you is, yes, 100%, Every everyone will tell you the Quran is absolutely true, but this new one replaced that old one. I don't know. That doesn't make total sense to me, but like I said, there is that one that say no abrogation, 100%, we do this. In the Quran, it says... If Christians and or Jews believe about God, then they go to heaven. So that was one where they kind of have to deal with that if they don't believe, if they believe everything's 100%. Okay? There's a little bit of, eh, got to be careful with that one. We got to figure out a way to deal with this. Okay? Understand that while they do this, uh, this is something that he struggled with a little bit. It goes through in his mind as he understood more and more about this. He began to grow and learn and say, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe this is uh, something I should think about a little bit more. Okay? So he has a very interesting vision, there's a lot of visions that the Muslim people have, oftentimes, and uh, he gets to one of these big, big, uh, I'll call it a convention, a religious convention type thing, it's not exactly, it's, it's a big worship service, sort of, um, but it's more of a bigger celebration, Okay, not, a, not a weekly type thing, but it's more like an annual type thing. He gets there in the old hometown where he grew up. And when he gets there, he says, I'll never find my friends. Well, he asks God, prays, so he says, God, I want to find my friends. Oh, did it? So, either way, the last thing he talks about believing God, what he sees is this, this streak of gold and silver, and he follows them in the air and takes them to his friends. And so he believes in God. What we find oftentimes with with many people who convert from Islam to Christianity they believe to- they they believe totally in visions and things and God speaks to them through visions okay so the last the last thing and this is one of the crux of, of where the chapter leaves off and I'll have make sure that uh, Jacob picks up at the next week on this is he is in college and 9-11 happens. Okay? He's in college in America. His family is in America. And all of a sudden, that afternoon, people say, the Muslims did this. The Muslims have come after our the Twin Towers. The Muslims flew the planes into the Twin Towers. The Muslims are attacking us. And so his father calls he and his sister home from their college, They get out of there now because you will be persecuted. Now, Nabil is now struggling because he says, well, I was taught that Islam was a peaceful faith. But yeah, this, when we learned about what it really was, it really did come from a group of Muslims. And he said, these these Muslims are taught differently. So what is in this faith that allows people to learn so much more one way and follow what we know as jihad, okay, right, as opposed to what he's taught about jihad, which is more, he describes it as an internal struggle versus this go out and kill people that okay so w- I need to know more about this and he thinks back to the friends that talk to him he thinks back to other people and he says I finally knew that I needed that kind loving patient friend to walk with me talk with me through these things and be there while I struggled through this okay That's where he leaves off in the section 2 that we're in, uh, which is multiple different chapters, but the book is laid out in sections. Section 3 we will pick up next week as we go into his struggle with what's happening during 9-11. What is he thinking about? Where is his journey going to take him? And what's he going to think about uh, Christ, the New Testament, and about the beliefs of these Christians. He was so proud that he could defeat every one of them that he talked to in debate because he knew their things better than 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 those Christians knew them. All right? And he often, he, he would struggle. So where's the struggle going to end up? All right, thank you very much.